Greetings and salutations to you all. This is Dee Dee Moonflyer. Welcome to Twilight Tonic, your weekly voyage to points distant and parts unknown. We'll discuss all things paranormal, spiritual, weird, and wonderful. So if you're ready, grab your favorite tonic, your best comfy chair, and let's begin. Welcome back, Twilight Tonic listeners. Today we're in for a treat with a heavy hitter of the paranormal world, Dr. Barry Taff. He's the brain behind the investigation that inspired the blockbuster movie, The Entity. With his expertise in psychophysiology and biomedical engineering, he's our go-to guy for everything from the ghostly phenomena to the mysteries of the human mind. Barry, how are you tonight? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, and I'm very excited about interviewing you tonight. Uh, you, know, you, you know, you're the only... I've never spoken to a man or woman named Beatty. Really? And what's in was done. But there was a character in the old TV series Hunter back uh-huh. in the 80s. And, uh, Stephanie Kramer played her. And Stephanie looked like a clone of the girl I almost married in the 70s. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> same look, exactly nose, eyes, mouth, hair, but same height, but well, the thin, much gaunt compared to the girl I knew. But they looked so much alike it was spooker. I saw her at some kind of an event years after the show ended, and it was like, what the? She didn't look that good in person. She had a... <laughs> She had, I mean, she's so gorgeous, but they really must have worked on her skin because it was horrible. Oh, no. What what can you do? You have that you don't, you know. Right. (laughs) That's funny. Well, and it's so funny because I came across your name and I remembered that name. Um, When I was a little girl, I saw a show that In Search Mm -hmm. Of. And you were on there, weren't you? Well, I've been on so many shows, I forgot which one. If I had, I'm the first show called, uh, not in search, it was, that was the other show. Um, um, what was it called? Uh, the other, I forgot, but it was the premiere of one series. It was not that one. Mm-hmm. And I never was even contacted. So an old colleague of mine went on where I was off. I didn't even know about it. When the show aired, instead of having me talking, we still talking, they showed a close up of the, uh, um, this uh, article that I published on our work going back decades, and there was oh the episode was called Sightings. That was what that's what it was. Oh, I remember that. And, show. Yeah. and so there was my name and whatever, and it didn't have me. Who cared? My, my friend's better looking than I ever was. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I I'm very excited about this, and I have some questions for you, of course. And one of my major questions is, I know that you worked for UCLA. Mm -hmm. And one of my questions is, and and if you don't mind sharing, Mm -hmm. what was the most compelling experience when you worked in the parapsychology lab there? Um, It's like asking, let's say you're eating a dinner you really love, and which bite of food is the best? First, it, 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 I was in Foke, 
The reason I ended up in the lab versus running around on my own was that um, I was trying to reach the head of the lab, a woman by the name of Dr. Thelma Moss. I was calling on her, left messages on the switchboard, this long before, you know, a voicemail. Mm-hmm. And I kept, uh, then I was sending letters, no response. I what the heck. So some time went by, and a guy who was graduate school, I was, uh, uh, I was undergraduate, he was graduate. He heard about what I was doing. I talked with him. And he called Dr. Moss, and I went to meet her at her house, which is like almost walking distance from where I used to live. Mm-hmm. And uh, we sat down, and I knew the only note about her, what I knew about it was some of the research she did. Beyond that, I knew nothing about her past, mm-hmm. you know, other than academia. So she, did, she says, Can you psychometrize it? I go, Sure. She threw me her keys, and you know, I held it and got impression described this and that. Then I said, I see a blue-eyed blonde woman named Shelley. She's always screaming. Well, that was an actor, just not that description of um, her best friend, Shelley Winters, mm-hmm. the actress. So anyway, that started. So Thelma had me working in a lab as assistant, a laboratory assistant. And uh, they did a study on me, which took a couple of years to get done. Okay, so you're a psychic. You know, it's published in a medical journal. Okay, so you're psychic. And my interests were, why am I this way, yet most of my friends are not? Mm. Or my family, I thought. What made me different than they are? So that was one area I wanted to look into. The other was, you know, I've been called out on cases, even way back when, of people talking about poltergeist activity in their home or hauntings or apparitions or whatever. And the question is, is there a common denominator in it? Mm-hmm. So let's start with the simplistic work. One of the areas I worked in, which was probably the most amazing in terms of the results, was we was training some people in ESP, in remote viewing. It wasn't mm-hmm. called remote viewing back then. So my theory or belief was if you use a form of positive reinforcement and feedback, you theoretically could get someone to know what feels accurate with, with opposed to what doesn't feel accurate. You're getting impressions. Mm-hmm. And we can't do forced, forced um, choice, meaning you, is it one out of five? One out, no. Either you see it or you don't. You know, real simple. So we're doing this in day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and the results are quite compelling. Um, give an example of how compelling they can be. There was another girl who worked in the lab. She was around my age, and uh, so Dr. Moss said she wants to come to the group. I said, okay, okay, didn't want her there. And no one knew who she was but myself. Okay. And she decided to volunteer as a target, okay? So what we did is we, we'd sit down in this century-deprived environment. It was a bunch of chairs. You couldn't see each other or whatever. And we, the target was given. She gave us the name of someone. I don't remember the name, but we, there was no last name, just the first name. So we described the home of big glass walls, beautiful, lush, like environment, like a canyon or whatever, gorgeous. And I remember I said, I see a really large kitchen lined with empty jars of bacon bits. Bacon mm-hmm. bits. And then I said, I remember I said, this man was being horribly beaten and mugged. So it stops him. The girl's taking the control of the audio recorder. Mm-hmm. She's playing it back. Yeah, that's where he lived. Yeah, the kitchen's correct. He did have empty jars of bacon bits lining in the kitchen. God knows why. 
We got it, Margaret. <laughs> okay. But then we got the thing about him being beaten up and mugged, and she goes, he's never been beaten up or mugged. She knew him pretty well. A couple of days later, she calls. We got the lag. Remember that group the other day? I said, yeah. Remember what you picked up? I go, remind me. Oh, about my friend being, no, I remember. Well, that day, at that exact time, unbeknownst to her and us, he was being viciously beaten and mugged up in San Francisco. Wow. So the whole point of this, wait a minute, so what's the source? Mm-hmm. Another evidence was even more dramatic. So we got tired of doing the same thing every day or every week or every month. It was easy, relatively simple to do it. The results may vary depending on some variables. We thought, why not do a precognitive remote viewing session? We don't know who the, you don't know what's going to be happening a week in the future. Describe the randomly chosen target as well as you can. So progressive muscular relaxation, we talk people down, they were quiet. Describe the randomly chosen target. So we start describing a tall blonde woman, blonde hair, blue eyes, very exotic looking. Describe the clothing, she's wearing a beige pantsuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the multiple chairs in the room we used, there were numbers on the bottom of each of them, which were not visible when you walked in. You have to flip the chair over. We named uh, we named uh, uh, this person sat in one particular chair we named. The only chair they couldn't sit in was mine because they had the controls of the audio recorder. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we described we described tall woman, blonde hair, blue eyes, um, big three story home in the Hollywood Hills. David Graham piano, which could fit other anyone theoretically. And then we described a very tall man, about six six, dark hair, all dark clothing, black pants, black boots, black jacket, black shirt, black hat, black mask, cape, black cape, and an imposing sword. We thought we were losing our minds. Okay. So a week later, we're having a session that was triggered by what we said originally. New people came in, had never been there before, didn't know what we did there. They each get a little white envelope, a pink envelope, with a card and a number on it from 1 to 12. So mm-hmm. everyone would take the seat. We rolled the dice, numbers pop up, and we told the one, okay, open your little envelopes. If your number matches the dice, let us know. And somebody goes, oh, that's my number. Okay. So we said, you're going to hear a tape made a week ago. If it fits you, comment. If it doesn't, let it go. Okay. Thanks, control. We described her perfectly, down to the clothing she was wearing. Described her look. She sat in one of 23 chairs. She sat in the chair we named. Raised in a three-story home in the Hollywood Hills. Had a baby grand piano for her parents. And then we get to the part about the tall man in all black and she looked at me and she said how do you know who i am i go what do you mean i i don't know who you are i'm tony williams and i went and my father played zorro for disney oh my goodness and she said wait 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 you made this recording when a week ago i didn't know i was coming here until a few hours ago and i was chosen randomly wait a minute how could you exactly how can you? Mm-hmm. And this is the whole thing is some people can remotely access information in space and in time. It's easy for some people. Most people could spend a hundred years at it. They could not get any better. A lot of variables go into it. But this 
we were so doing so well early on that unbeknownst to me, different members of the intelligence community and the military were coming to the group because they heard what we were doing. Mm-hmm. This is before this. So we didn't know who they were. They were dressed civilly in clothing, men and women. Mm-hmm. And one of the times, so I don't remember that all the details um, would describe a giant submarine under the ocean, in the ocean. And we described its name, what it did, and we described the missiles it was carrying. Remember, this is in the early 70s, so it was a long time ago. Yeah. Anyway, it came, came back on, and the people from the government said, you have to surrender the table because you described classified information you couldn't know any other way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they were interested in funding us, and but UCLA said, no, we can't deal with them. It'd be a, I'd be a death sentence, politically incorrect. We can't do it. Okay. So it moved up to Stanford Research Institute at, at, uh, you know, up there in Northern California. And that was that. Kept doing the, the research over and over again. And one time there was a well-known dir- director He's passed away. He'd bring different people in our group, some men, some women, tall, short, thin, fat, whatever. And he brought this guy. Um, I can't give his name, even though he's passed away. So we, everyone knew who he was just by looking at him. Right. It was that fit. And you'd know him in a heartbeat, unless you never saw a movie or TV. And so he said, I'll volunteer, okay? So he clearly gave us the name of a woman to be the target. And we were doing this, and I'm saying, wait a minute. Are you sure this is a woman? Is it a man? Is it a... This is the early 70s, or how well, mid 70s now. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll go back to the guy takes the control, the correctness. Everything we said was right. It was the woman, it was, a, it was a transgender woman or man he was living with. Interesting. And, and he turned red and left the room, never coming back. Huh. Um, it's another time they brought with a gorgeous woman named Roberta. We didn't know who she was, just sort of name. And she volunteered to be a target. They gave us, they gave us the name Al. You know, it's a man, right? I guess. Mm-hmm. Start describing him, what he looked like. Weird voice, kind of violent, explosive. He always played like a lunatic in TV shows. And then we said he was recurrently beating her. And during the feedback, she said, yeah. Albert, Albert Salmi was his name. You'd know him or if you saw him. Right. Been in everything. And we described him accurately, and she reluctantly admitted that he had been beating her. Wow. And we thought, oh, just, what, he's got some problems. I said, we're told he's going to kill you. Oh, no, no. So, okay. Ten years later, the day he killed her and then killed himself. Oh, my goodness. But the whole point of this is, um, you can see things both away in space and time. Sometimes they're deadly accurate, and sometimes you don't know what to think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who developed with us, who stuck with us, almost all of them had emotional problems dealing with their ability. Be like being blind, and suddenly you've got sight. Oh my God, look at this! And so it, it turned out well what we learned. On my website, barrytaft.net, there's a lengthy article called Learned Psy, Training to be Psychic. Those are the great detail on this. And it's truly, I've never failed to be amazed by it because how could we see what's a detail, especially things about the future? And the last session we did, 
let's see if we can reproduce the precocity. Okay, so we describe, you know, room's dark, we're describing things verbally, and, and a number of us start kept seeing fire, fire, fire. Mm-hmm. We thought we'd lose it in our mind. I'm up in the lab the next day. Fire trucks come to the building we worked in. That room caught fire. Oh. The uh, electrical outlet or socket behind one of the curtains sparked, it shorted, and it caught the room on fire, grapes on fire. So the only way we saw it was imminent. Um, the movie learned about this, the stranger it got, because it begs the question, how much free will do we have? How much is, is, is there a deterministic reality which we can't change one way or the other? And what if the future is much? We know we can't change the past, the right. mutable. What if we learn that we can't change the future? Then what? Wow, that's See, that's a yeah, that's a yeah, thought, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and so that was part of my work. I was always amazed. You're always amazed. And what led me to draw my conclusion as to what was going on was one night I had to go back to UCLA. My car was in the shop as usual. A bus, not no big mm-hmm. deal. And I get there, and in the bus, it was early dusk. I could see the my reflection. I could see the in, I'm inside the bus. I could see myself the reflection of the window light turn. I could also see what's outside. So it was like multiplex. I went, that's it, that's it. This stuff is holographic. Simply. Huh. If I have an eight by 10 of you and I cut it in pieces, what do I get? I get pieces, half, quarter, eight, 10, whatever. But you take a hologram and you cut it. Each piece has the information to repl- replicate the entire image. Hmm. Evidence indicates a part of our brain works like this. Evidence strongly indicates that the paranormal part of it works like this, that everything is everywhere. And it's it gives me a sense of, I guess, release or just like, oh, my God. Right. And so I, I wrote up, there was a, a famous book written by a neurophysiologist from Stanford. And um, I referenced it in my work about holographic space, time, and consciousness. Mm-hmm. And then sometime later, he took what I wrote and kept telling people it was his. Oh. So I met him. He came to the NPA to lecture, and I went up to him. I said, what the hell's wrong with you? Said, oh, yeah, well, I said, why didn't you reference me? He said, why should I? I went, what? <laughs> so that cost him, because the university now, like at Stanford, they thought he went crazy. This is, you know, the politically incorrect to talk about the paranormal almost 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. But in academia. So they they bumped him out and he ended up working for Werner Earhart of Est. <laughs> and it, it's, yeah, it was, it was weird. Um, the other part of our work was the most dramatic in terms of, oh no, I went there. One of our such a girl came into my group and I investigated her case, a poltergeist case. She looks like a diminutive Suzanne Summer, very similar look. Mm-hmm. So she's seated at four to three or four to my right, and it's pitch black. And we start describing it. And suddenly, a gigantic red ball of light flies out of her body, shoots across the room. People are screaming and they're jumping around. Pitch black. It 
for the red light. Oh it illuminated her. And then we turned the light on, there Paula was, the girl name was Paula, uh, in a fetal position, shaking in her chair. So every so often something really dramatic happened like this. Wow. But this this is a jumping to poltergeist investigation. I've uh -huh. investigated more than 4,500 cases. And wow. everything I expected to learn never happened. Nothing, nothing not even close. Um, it was amazing. You know, you read all this stuff going back centuries. Mm -hmm. yeah. And no, it didn't make any sense. I'm collecting the data. Now, in science, there are two ways of learning things about the world you live in. One is you invite things in a controlled environment in the lab. You have a hypothesis or theory. You produce results and try to replicate them. That's science. Without that, we wouldn't have phones or TVs or computers anywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. When it comes to the paranormal, it's a little more difficult. Some of this you can bring into the lab, like I talked about with my uh, psychic training work. Okay. But other parts, you can't go brick it about dragging to a lab because it doesn't work like that as far as we know. That means the only other method is spending a lot of time in different locations collecting a lot of data mm -hmm. and look and hope to find longitudinal patterns in the data. And we found them. And this is what we found. Let's look at this in a simple way. Okay. okay. Let's say you're holding a DVD in your hand. You want to watch the movie on it. You just bought it. Well, what do you need? Need a DVD player. Mm -hmm. Got to be plugged in the wall on your TV. And then you got to put the DVD in the player. You need a remote to operate it. Otherwise, you see nothing on the screen. This phenomena might be similar in the sense that the most common denominator I found the only somatic correlate to this were these people experiencing recurring bouts of recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis poltergeist activity. Mm -hmm. The majority, if not all of them, either seizure prone or epileptic. But there are a lot of people in the country who are seizure prone or epileptic, but they're not poltergeist agents. So that means we're missing, there's a missing or unknown variable. Um, if I knew when I started this, what I know now, the database would be scary to be so consistent. But right. every case, it turns out the same. And the last example, and I almost died in 2015, had nothing to do with what we're talking about. Just, I went to visit a friend. I, I collapsed and woke up in the hospital. And uh, so I say that was the hospital for two years. A lot of surgeries came out, more surgeries. Okay. So I was in the hospital from 2000, uh, July 2015 to April 2017, almost wow. two years. And so we found out the problem was surgery, blah, blah, blah. Had I been at home in L.A. when this happened, I would have died in my own home because nobody would there would have found me. Oh my. So anyway, so I stayed with a friend. He had a house in Rancho Mirage. Now, this is someone I knew, but not that well. I knew him. We worked together. He family hired me to do some engineering and a couple devices. Okay. And so I move in there. I think it was April something of 2017. He knew about my work, but he really wasn't interested. It's like 
not his work, not, his, not what he was interested in. I move in there, it was a, a nice warm spring, and I'm watching TV one night, he's out playing pool with his friends, and I um, I hear a woman's voice to my right, clear as a bell, going, Barry, Ooh. I shot off the couch like I'm Superman. There's no bet. one in the house but me. I wasn't trying to shock. It was a clear as a bell to my right. Mm -hmm. And I jumped. And it went, no doors locked. Security system was on. No one came in. There were like four ways to get out of the house. Nothing had been touched. Okay. That was only five days. That was about, I think about a few weeks after I landed there was when it started. And one thing after another, I'd be sleeping one time. My bedroom was one side of the house. My friend's bedroom was another side of the house in the back. And at 2.48 in the morning, I hear a woman's voice screaming in the name, Mikey, 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 and what the hell? I wake up and say, who's Mikey? Machines had turned themselves. The dishwasher turned itself on. The stove would turn itself on, the mic would, <laughs> and yet this is, you know, there was a player piano, sometimes right. play. Okay. Now, this is interesting. Before I lived with them, there had never been any phenomenon in the house. I thought, well, it's not me. I mean, I don't know. So, I don't know. Well, then we, we moved to another house in Palm Desert, and mm -hmm. it was bigger, quieter, very pleasant. I said, well, nothing will happen here, obviously. I was wrong. A few months into it, in a few days, um, uh, <laughs> I come out of the bedroom, and this huge ball of light, spitting and throwing things around, disembodied voices, apparitions, luminous anomalies. Mm. I was standing in the kitchen with my friend, and his dog was there, and the dog was growling. But looking behind me, and on the stove, which was off, there were some pots and pans. They're not for cooking. They were just resting there. And they mm -hmm. were jumping up and down like somebody was moving them. The dog started growling and ran out of the room. Um, you know, okay. So long story short, uh, about 2020, I'm in the kitchen. My friend was way in front of the top front of the house and he's buried. I left some medication valves on the aisle to bring them to me. Okay. I pick them up. I'm walking. I forgot which medications they were, but one of them was an anticonvulsant. I said to my friend, why are you taking this? I said, I've got spasms in my arms and legs. Without it, I can't sleep. I go, mm -hmm. you're seizure prone. You're the answer. He's the power supply and I'm the lens. He's supplying the energy. And that it's if you take the time, you realize faces and places don't matter. But if you look into the background of the people, medical state, it's astounding. It's so it's um in the entity case, nineteen seventy four, Culver City, California. We didn't know about this. this was what I'm talking about was discovered about 15 years ago, not what happened back then. Mm -hmm. If we had asked her, are you seized or epileptic? Who knows what she would have said, but I'm willing to bet that she was. Right. That's And, there, you know, some people can be seized from their entire life, and they'll never know it. Others, when and they when they take the medication to quell the seizures, 
the phenomena stops. Huh. So it, it's, it means at the core of these things, very likely is a living, breathing person. Is there something beyond it, discarnate intelligence? Maybe, but all my cases, and the, a lot of them are discussed on my website, barrytoff.net, in my book, mm-hmm. uh, Aliens Above, Ghosts Below. Right. And once in a great move, great a while, you hit gold. Um, we were in 1976, my colleague, Gary Gaynor, at the time, went to a house on uh, Hollymont Drive in the Hollywood Hills. A beautiful three-story home. Oh, something out of a movie. We go in there. We got to stay there for a couple of weeks when it was vacant during the um, uh, it's going through what do you call it when your car house being evaluated for sale. Um, I don't even remember. Um, we got to stay there. Through oh, escrow. That's it. So, and one time, <laughs> I was. Uh, Making iced tea in the kitchen, yeah. I turned back to the fridge to get a slice of lemon to put in the tea. I turned back, my glass of tea are gone. <laughs> I found them through two doors that I had just locked. Um, reason we went to this case in uh, was it April or May of 1976? A student on campus comes in. Oh, it's a crazy party at this house, and all this amazing things are happening. A kettle flew over a woman's head and dumped water on her. A chair pits a person to the wall. And going, oh please. So we end up going there, and then we found this place, sixty-two twenty-one Hollymont. Um, I don't know. It's been renovated. It had a lot of water erosion and damage. It was rebuilt. Very mm-hmm. pleasant now. We were there. I remember I was the pantry once, the old pantry, really spacious, very pleasant. And suddenly it took the kidding from me, hitting me from above. Pennies are falling. Like they're not being shot down. Hundreds of pennies are falling and it hurt because the metal's hitting you in the head. Right. <laughs> and so I pulled back and fell from nowhere. Old pennies, new pennies. I don't know. Um, one time, a fire broke out in the upper bathroom. We have no idea where that came from. Um, a f- crew came out there from Fox TV. It was a Fox or just KTTV back then? A woman by the name of Connie Fox, and her and her uh, production crew were chased out of the house by flying objects. Wow. Oh, and, and what's interesting, we know now that we did know them. Two were active earthquake cults meet directly under the house, a few feet from each other. There's a shallow river under the house. So if everything you need, uh, active earthquake faults, you know, geomagnetic stuff like going on. But it's not, I can't bet on it in terms of who knows when it will occur. But apparently it's important for some people to be there and other times it is not. Um, it's an amazing case because I got to wit- witness so much of it personally. Right. It's amazing. And the more we learn, the stranger it gets. So the whole point of it is, if you're the wrong type of person in the environment, nothing may happen. If you're the right type, you're pushing the button of the DVD player to make it play. 
Mm-hmm. And this is what it's all about is that we are all have an integral part of this, all of us. And some are like, you know, when you gamble, some people just have incredible luck. Right, and others, yeah. no matter what they do, it may be something akin to that. There's something unique about some people that makes things work, and there's others not. Um, I remember one time living in Pen in Palm Desert. So this was in 2009. So we moved into the 19th, and so I had a dream. I woke up and. My right side of my head was supposed to be on my pillow. Well, it was on something soft, but it was no pillow. I opened mm-hmm. my eyes. It's still pretty dark, but I have pretty good night vision. My right, my right side of my head was resting on a woman's breast, left breast. Oh my I goodness! Back. What the? Now, I I could see it. I really long auburn hair. Couldn't see the eye color because there was a, a the. Uh, her eyes were deeply suited, could see the arches, or psychomanic arches, all that. But it's a, and younger than me. And I said, what are you doing? Hey, what am I? And I reached over her, turned the lamp on, and then I stand next to the bed. And she goes, don't throw the light. I go, what do you pray? I turned on. There's nothing there. But there were long strands of reddish brown hair, which, of course, I've never had. Interesting. Now, it makes this more interesting. A year later, an old girlfriend I lived with decades ago in Brentwood was trying to find me. And she thought I still lived in L.A. So I helped her write her dissertation back in 1992. You know, okay, it's kind of fun. She paid me for my time. And uh, I haven't talked to her since I left L.A. And she got hold of me. You ever think about me? I go, no, what? We were involved 30 years ago. I want to think about you. Anyway, so why did she call me? She said, well, I had this really scary dream that we were in bed together, and for some reason that you moved and it scared me, and then you moved again, and I yelled at you to stop moving, and you didn't. But she lived 125 miles away. Wow. So that was the last I talked to her. Um, but the... the um, it's amazing. It's you never know where or what, but at least life isn't boring. Hey, that that is so true. And you know, Barry, I, I'm very curious too about you know how you hear like activity around teenagers, particularly. Mm-hmm. And I I wonder why, like between the ages of like. 12 and 16, the activity mm-hmm. seems to be a lot. Now, you're talking about poltergeist activity, right? Yeah. And yeah, well, one theory was that it could be hormonally related. So that's the time in young people's lives where they're, a, a gland, uh, you know, different glands secreting more uh, things to make you grow up and leave the childhood behind and become an adult. Right. And the belief was that this is part of it. Yes and no. Again, it seems to be linked to people who are seizure prone or epileptic. No matter if they're young or old, tall or short, thin or fat, male, female. Um, it's all like it's always the same thing. A case I worked on in two thousand eight, I think it was, in Pomona. A nice family it was a woman, her daughter, and the man. Well, 
man was no, he passed away, he wasn't there. The woman was there, she's telling me that telling us that taking measurements, nothing that great in the dark. And she tells me the story where they moved into the house a long time ago. It was a fixer upper. They were finished with this beautiful home, well furnished. Her husband pulls out a gun and tries to kill her. Oh. They arrest him and he under supervision, they don't know what's going on. He doesn't know. Okay. He back in the house. Then weird things start happening. You know, disembodied voices, yeah. she turning like this whole whole bit. And then she said, he pulls out a gun again in the dining room, blows his head off, and they learn, she learned sometime later, that was the exact place where the original owner killed himself with a gun. Wow. And then after the story, we are like, okay. And she says, oh, by the way, does being epileptic have any relevance here? I go, oh, no, it's irrelevant. I said, you just answered the question. But she was epileptic developed during this, which means it was already within her. It didn't get triggered to the point of, you know, making things occur. Huh. Um, so the whole, like I said, this stuff is so consistent, you could bet on it and you'd win. Another element is that when I go out and investigate things, going back sometime, I take out various instruments. These are very expensive laboratory devices, not crap you buy for $39. Uh, now, what's interesting, measuring, measuring a bioelectric field is really easy because our electric field is pretty strong. Measuring a biomagnetic field is extremely difficult. <laughs> it's extremely weak. There are no handheld instruments to measure biomagnetic field. You need what's called a um, uh, superconducting sensor, a squid device. You can build them, but they're not tiny. You gotta have certain colder things being flushed through them to keep the sensors cool. Nothing, nothing. Else. But this is what allows scan, CT scans and other MRIs to work. You need that superconductive material. Um, so take out instruments. You put them up to most, yeah, grab this measure, yeah, dirt environment's great, but it's okay. And then you take out, looking for only the magnetic, a normal person doesn't register, doesn't register. And you take it to one of the people, oh, Gee, the thing went over. It went so strong that the, the instrument over I mean, it went over the range of its ability to measure. And um, it's so consistent. It's like there was um, case. Remember the Playboy Mansion, right? Yes. I was on a show called um, "The Girls Next Door." Like oh I knew the yeah. Producer. So I, I used measuring. to watch that show. <laughs> Is it still on? No, but you know it was uh, fun. I thought it was fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never heard of it. But I had to go on it, so I went on. And uh, so Tom talked to the three girls living there with uh, Hefner. Mm -hmm. So they're talking. I mean, one of them could care less, and she's like walked away from everything. The other two, they're very nice. Um, Holly, and then I don't remember the other one. Anyway, so. Measuring them, nothing, nothing, nothing. And the last one, named Bridget, mm -hmm. talked about having phenomena around her most of her life. Bring our brought my instrument close to her. Oh look, my God! Pulled it away. It stopped. Oh, yeah. 
Why is your body producing a magnetic field? I don't know. And this is it. Um, it seems that under the right conditions, people are their own. We are the phenomenon. We are taxed somehow, tapping in energies around us and put them to use. And the question is, why? It's the way we're built or not built. Mm. So that's the whole, it's it's more than we could ever imagine in some ways. In other ways, it's less. But the bottom line is that if you know what questions to ask, what measurements to take, you're going to get answers. But you've got to collect them over a very long period of time. And, you know, no one pays you to do this. You go out and do it because you're interested in research, not because you're going to make money. Right. God forbid. <laughs> um, but, you know, the whole, the, uh, so we can't, the lab work, the actual work I did in the lab was amazing. And we had results were very consistent. And um, a couple of people who worked with us the longest, they developed, they developed serious emotional problems because they couldn't cope with it. Interesting. It was like overweight. Suddenly, like if you wake up tomorrow morning and you're a Wonder Woman and you didn't know it, you sneeze and blew down the wall in your home. Mm-hmm. You jumped up something, you grabbed something, you went through the roof. Um, it may be something like that, that the word, we don't stop with the tip of our nose or tip of our toes. We extend way beyond that point. Barry, do you think that you can develop it as a child if encouraged? Well, are you talking about, there's two things. One is the first stuff I talked about, the remote viewing, the ESP, or you're talking about the poltergeist activity. Probably, I would say ESP. Yeah, it, it works. Like I said, we've spent a lot of time with a lot of people. If, you, if you've taken enough time to focus on it and follow normal learning you know, procedures, uh, paradigms, you should get better. But again, it's sort of like we cannot get in and drive a car, pretty much. You get in, you end up, put your foot in the brakes, put the gear, you go off, feel okay. But does that mean we could race an F1 car? No. We haven't been trained. The muscles aren't tight enough. You're, uh, t- you're, um, you're not coordinated. Not you, but any person. You didn't be the coordinated enough with enough focus for that long to prevent yourself from dying. But you could still drive a car. Right. It may be like that, you know. A lot of people could do things. The question is, can they do things with sufficient accuracy and, I guess, it's integrated in a way that helps them and helps the world? Um, I got into this because of my own experiences. And there's one thing I can do around other people that is very easy. I'm a medical intuitive, and I've been that since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I thought everyone could do this. Maybe sure. they can. Yeah. But I only know one other person that can do it. And it's gotten me in a lot of trouble. Almost got me kicked out of school a long time ago. Um, and people, it's fun and games to a point and they freak out and they get away from you. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of, um, I keep telling people, no, if you woke up tomorrow and had super you empowered, people would not beat a path to your door. They'd run away from you. Yeah. That they don't know what they don't know what you're going to do or how you're going to do it or that. 
So that's and I on the website. There's two other particular articles. Mm-hmm. There's more than a hundred. Another one is called um, a different kind of psychic being a medical intuitive. Goes into some detail of what I'm speaking about now, and I've just accepted these things as normal in my life. Um, a uh, when I was living in Palm Desert, a very well-known producer showrunner came out to me. I didn't know him. I didn't know his wife. So you're talking because you can diagnose. Yeah. Okay. So I start with him. I just I forgot what I said. But when I do this to people and my ability works at that point and it's accurate, they become their body stiffens up and they slowly move away from me. Interesting. It's, and okay, I forgot what I said about him and his wife. And I said, well, okay, you got a broken clavicle. I was right. How did you know? I go, you're sitting in front of me. I don't know how I know? Um, but also, it's like, um, I went to see The Dark Knight when it first came out. In, was it 2008? Whatever it was. Mm-hmm. At, a, at this, uh, the Director's Guild Theater in Hollywood. So I'm there, meeting an old friend of mine. Where film starts, she got a call from her daughter. She had to go. So we drove separately. So now before she left, I was having horrible burning and spasming in my bladder. Like, what is going on? I was just about to go to the bathroom. I didn't know what was going on. And then she had to leave. The minute she left, I was fine. She called mm-hmm. a few days later. How was the movie? Great. But I had a really bad problem with my bladder because that's odd. I've been having bad, bad problem, bladder problems. Here we go. Um, it, it's. I didn't even know she was ill. Nothing. But I could feel it like it was my problem. Right. Huh. And so this has been with me since I can remember. And uh, it's funny games to a point, And then you see people just stay away from you because they're scared about what you're going to say. Yeah, they're frightened. You know, Barry, what do you think of mediums or people that see people that passed over? What do I think about people who see people that you know, have, like have go, passed over? Do they, yeah. do they actually see them or do they have the impression they're there? You know, I hear so many theories about that. Um, when well, I mean, I, it's like it's sort of like it's the one version would be like a radio, you hear something talking. The other yes. version is like TV, you don't hear it, but you see it. Yes, exactly. The question is, the question is, is there any difference? If so, what is it? And the question is. We know we people can communicate with each other now. You know, yes. ESP. That, well, is it, but if one of the people dies, does that mean it won't happen again? We don't know. Yeah. I, I, we can't eliminate the possibility um, that, that this has occurred, but I've worked on so many cases like this, and you have to eliminate everything. Before you assume something paranormal is occurring, as a scientist, you've got to eliminate everything else. Guessing, uh, you know, uh, being able to see things in an environment no one else paying attention to, mm-hmm. you acquire knowledge with third party. Is what you're. When we did the thing in our lab about Zorro, right? I told other academicians this is back in the late seventies, and they said we guessed. I go, what? You guessed? Wait. We just start talking about Zorro for, yeah. Oh. And he happened to be the father of the woman who came to our lab. It's coincidence. This is the problem. 
How many coincidences make a fact? Hundred, thousand, a million, a trillion? Um, there's a, another arc on my website. It's called Very, Very Personal and Enduring Synchronicities. And back when the original Twilight Zone was on, 1963 was the second to last season. They were an hour episode. One episode was written by a very gifted writer, uh, Richard Matheson, starring Ross Martin and Jack Clugger. Incredible show. I, mean, I don't need to detail it. You can look at it online whenever you want to see it. And after seeing that, I was 14 at the time. I said, I've got to meet this man. I've got to meet him. <laughs> when was I still 14? I looked like I was eight. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's so, um, 10 years later to the day, guess who works in the lab at UCLA? Richard Matheson. Awesome. With his son, Richard Christian Matheson. And we just keep it to the son and I have remained friends after all these decades. And what's interesting, there are so many links between a synchronistic link that's a little frightening. Where hmm. um you born on the same day at the same time, same month, he's three what, four years younger than me. Okay. Um and my mother passed away in two thousand nine. He didn't know my parents. He knew of them, but he said what was your mother's name? I said, Ruth. What was her middle name? She said, yeah, Anne. And Richard went, what? How could you? That's my mother's name. Oh, what? What? Okay. His father passed away in 2013. When I first heard it, someone called me about it. Um, I was having dinner with friends, and I thought, why does this date seem important to me? Oh, it's the date of the the date of Richard's father's death was the date, the month that my father, at the time that my father died. Hmm. Um, it goes beyond them. We didn't know, he was busy working all over the place. I didn't see him for a long time. We had lunch together. I had a Toyota Super Turbo. He had a Lexus. Same year, our license plates different by only one number. Oh my goodness. So I used to own a Rolex watch. Watches don't run on me. I've given up wearing watches. They really won't run on me. And um, so I wanted to get another watch called the Tag Heuer Curium F1. Beautiful. And was, what watch is Richard wearing? That exact make and model. <laughs> but his parents bought, brought it from, bought him as a gift from when they came back from Europe a long time ago. So I go, what? And then sometime later, years later, I had to go to the dermatologist. I had moles taken off a couple inches above my navel, one on each side of my diaphragm, and one on the back, forming like a perfect circle around my midsection. The same day, unbeknownst to me, Richard went to his dermatologist, have moles removed from the same part of his body. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> And the last one we met with the director years ago, but remaking a film with us and didn't work out for many reasons. But so the director asked me, have you ever been frightened to death? I go, no, ever come close to, well, I almost drowned. As I'm telling him the story when I was surfing, pulled under by a riptide, Richard is turning white. When did it happen? Also, what year he goes, what? 
Same thing happened to Richard four years later. Hmm. So, you know, um, I don't know. I live a different life than most people. At least it's never boring. It's, it doesn't sound boring at all. It sounds really awesome. Um, do you think, I mean, with it's almost like we're living in a hologram in a sense when people see things. It's well, the idea is if everything there's an old song for the day, I forgot to say her, everything is beautiful. I forgot this guy that sang it. When I used to say hear that, I would think everything is everywhere. Yeah. Which means the past information still exists. Your future's information already exists. And things at a distance are just open for the seeing. You can view it. So there's, there's some evidence that long-term memories may not reside in our own brain. They may be mm-hmm. stuck in a zero-point power field. And if the way we recover our own memories is the same as remote viewing, then that means experience itself is paranormal. We're, there's nothing paranormal about it. It's the way we are. Mm-hmm. So that's what it comes down to, is that in the end, what are we doing and how are we doing it? Yeah, that's and, what I find fascinating. And it's, it's over, people are okay with this, but it makes them challenge their concept of reality. Yeah. How far do we go? How much is real? How much, we, you know, we've got to rule everything out. And once everything has been ruled out, then what? Um, when I was being studied at UCLA so long ago, they did, measured me on the EEG in several labs. And each time the EEGs behaved in a really weird manner they'd never seen, this extremely high amplitude in about 10 hertz should have pushed me into seizure. But I've never had seizures. Huh. So, just... What can you do? <laughs> it's true. It's a different life. I mean, I've never been married. I have no children. I've never had a regular job. <laughs> so oh. that's, I, my whole life is whatever <laughs> I want it to be. That's interesting. You're so interesting. It sounds like, I, I don't know. I, I just love your research. When, when, that uh, long time ago, one of the few things I did in my life linked to a religion is I had to have a bar mitzvah. I couldn't waste a lot of it. Uh-huh. So I saw pictures taken from that 1962 or one, whatever. So a lot of friends were there, you know, parents, friends, my friends, their, their parents. So there was a friend Ed, there was a friend Richard, all these people. They all look normal for that age or 13. If you looked at me, it looks like I was five or six. Interesting. Oh. Wow. So, you know, you but, just looked young for your age. Yeah, I mean, it's, I saw pictures of me recently from, oh God, the early eighties, and it looked like I was in my twenties. Oh, no, it looked like I was in my teens when I was in high school. It looked like it belonged to primary school. Oh, <laughs> and so it, it, it's you know, just nothing else to do. Just hang around. <laughs> that could work for you or against you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but you know, it's sort of my life. The the most profound thing in in my life is the paranormal. But also, it's what's kept me from ever getting married because 
the women I tend to attract appear to be a little strange. Either they think I'm terrifying and they run away, or they make me look normal. Uh-oh. And either way, it's that you're asking for a disaster. Yeah. It won't work. You know, and so it's, uh, yeah, what can you do? There was one instant, there was one actress growing up I was always enamored with, uh, Joan Collins. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so let's go out in the case. This is in the middle 70s in the San Fernando Valley. And I kept having dreams several nights that I met Joan Collins, but she was my age. And she kept calling Barry, Barry, but she wasn't talking to me. What's going on? Told my colleague, stop. I don't want to hear about Joan. So I go to the case. I already spoke to the lady. The woman opens the door. She's a dead ringer for Joan, but she's my age. But wait, you'll never guess what her husband's first name was. Barry. Wow. So my friend says, okay, I don't doubt you anymore. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Um, yeah. This... And then back in the, before I started teaching in 83, a parapsychology class, 91, um, I had a series of dreams. And in each dream, I saw the same thing. A uh, beautiful girl looked like a young Barbie, very similar look. Mm-hmm. Um, she drove a dark blue car with gray interior with the Ford Pinto. She had to wear a uniform to work, but she did work for the military or the police. Her mother's name was Mary. So people coming to, come to my class, one of the women coming in was the girl I saw by dream look exactly like a Barbie. I mean, exactly. She comes up to me during the break. She goes, have we ever met before? I go, no, uh, you look really familiar to me. I said, no, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we started dating. Everything was great. Turned out mother's name was Mary. She drove a blue pinto with a great interior. She worked for the Great American Bank in Beverly Hills, and she had to wear a special uniform every day. Huh. So we access information that's relevant to us. That's important. Yeah. So whether that's buying a new car, meeting someone you go out with or get to know, everyone's different. And with me, it's simple, fast cars and crazy women. No, no. <laughs> like I said, if women find me normal, we're in trouble. Oh, <laughs> it's 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 sort of um yeah. Like I said, I didn't go to my fiftieth uh, high school reunion. I was in the hospital at the time. Would have been interesting to go there and see all, how my friends ate. I saw several of them online, and I wouldn't recognize them. Oh, <laughs> no, because like most people, they get old. I mean, I'm not young, mm-hmm. but compared to. I think most of my friends look well. I only know one friend my age who looks good. One friend. <laughs> well, that other one I haven't seen in years. I can't say that. But one friend, he looks like a young Tyrone Power. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he's the same age I am. So. But the one good thing is, in the next hundred years, nothing may be learned about this because it frightens people too much. You know? So that's the problem. Fear, dogma. Yeah, fear fear is the killer of everything. Right. So it's, it's a different place to be where you are. And, yeah. yeah. And, you know, 
I wonder if there could be a flip side of that where we don't fear it anymore and we just live and it lives um, with us. People tend to be frightened of whatever they don't understand, whatever that is. Absolutely. And um, when I go on shows and talk about UFOs and all that stuff, I said it would be the single greatest mistake in human history for any advanced culture or country to openly admit what UFOs are and that we've had contact. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it would not serve it would not serve anyone and it, it would do it would be like disenfranchising the human race and everyone mm-hmm. would try to take advantage of that, make money off it, somehow use them for their own purposes. Oh, it yeah. wouldn't work. And so, I'm a really firm believer in UFOs. Yeah, I mean I've I've investigated cases on it that began as paranormal outbreaks evolved into UFO situation or vice versa. Yeah. Um, and let it, let it say, like I said, I almost got married in 1977. Mm-hmm. Um, I met a girl. I remember I was, I, girl, I already talked to the woman on the phone. I knew nothing about her. So we go out, it was Valentine's Day in 1977 in LA. So we walk in and I, for the first time in my life, I was frozen. This woman was so beautiful, she didn't look human. She just, like, imagine Liz Taylor with darker eyes. Ooh. That's what she looked like. And so, long story short, we start dating, where things are happening. Um, and then I have, then the dreams came. And the dreams are always the same. The dreams were, it was July 22nd. And something happened that ended our relationship. I didn't want to tell her because she might misinterpret it as I don't want to be in the relationship, which was not the case. So, uh, dreams keep occurring. The date approaches. I wrote it down. Wake up on the July 22nd. And she said to the conference that she will come out. What's the matter? And she said, why did she hold me? I go, with what? When the room lit up. What room? What do you mean? The bedroom. What are you talking about? She under she was sobbing. Why didn't she help? What and she said very quietly, something picked her up out of bed, found herself moving, but she didn't know how. Woke up in a weird room that was very cold, metal like, and a, on a table strapped around her neck, her wrists, her abdomen, and her and her uh, uh down by her feet. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't move and there was weird people around me. Didn't have any hair, no nose, no ear, no ears. And they were cutting and probing and terrible pain. And I said to her, you know the thing about UFO abduction? She goes, what? I said, no interest. In stuff. Said, no. Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Said, no, I don't know. Okay. So I finally coaxed her out from under the covers. She had black and blue bruise marks around her neck, her, her ankles, her wrists, and her abdomen. Mm-hmm. Her hair had been cut in a weird way and looked like someone took a little melon baller and took chunks of skin out of her back. Mm. And she had a complete breakdown. She wouldn't go, and she ended up becoming a religious maniac of a very unusual type. Wow. And had that not happened, whatever it was, we probably would have married last year. Her life would have changed dramatically. That was interesting. In, unbeknownst to her, I was going mm-hmm. down in my car. I saw one of the neighbors. This is the Hollywood Hills. 
And he said, did you see that thing last time? I go, what? You know, the power and all area went out for a couple hours, by two in the morning. Nope. Hmm. The clocks had gone. Everything stopped for two hours. And it was mm-hmm. like a big glowing reddish orange thing, and the power went out. And, you know, can't prove it, can't disprove it. It's a little, right. But it was interesting that he told me that. And uh, if she'd go, if there were psychologists or psychiatrists at the time, yeah, who were able to, maybe her life would have been different. And she's a couple of years older than me. She's going to be saying, oh, I want to think about it. Um, it's, that's it. It was supposed to happen, so it never did. And I knew that dreams are always about relationship ending, but I wasn't the cause of it. Interesting. And so, you know, it's uh, but I saw a couple of black and white photos of Taylor the other day where her eyes looked darker, looked mm-hmm. just like this girl. I mean, exactly. Nose, eyes, mouth, cheekbones, chin. Everything was the same except my girlfriend's eyes were darker. They weren't violet. Interesting. So yeah, it's it's whatever. What it's yeah. yeah my my mom actually saw a UFO when she was pregnant with me with another couple driving in New York State, mm-hmm. and she talked about experiences all the way up to her death in 2019, like the day before she died. Yeah. So it's it's something they do not forget ever. Like it's like. It's the same way we're frightened of insects. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, so I've lived a different life than most other people. <laughs> it's a good life. It's a good life. It is. And um, I think in the end, we may never know what a lot of this means because we're so far beyond it right now. It's not relevant. I keep telling people, UFOs will not become relevant until the subject is really important in people's lives. Oh, yes. It directly affects their ability to live, make, make a job. If it doesn't happen, no one's going to care because who cares? Inflation I can't afford this, I can't afford that. That's not relevant. UFOs are only relevant in terms of the big picture, not in terms of what we do every day. Right. No, and I said it's a it's never the, the whole. Well, I've learned about the paranormal. It's fun and games for a while, and then it really begins to, to scare people. Oh yeah, understandable. This, you know, this well-known director, a uh, producer, and showrunner came out to meet me a couple of years ago when I lived in Palm Desert, and he interviewed me several times, and he became so ner- nervous about what I was saying that he said, I can't write about this. I can't, Why? I'm freaking out. It's making me shake. What? But how could you do this? Like, what? I go, what are you talking? How could you diagnose me? I go, I can't, I can't deal with it. Too. It's bothering me. Mm-hmm. So he could, I will tell you his name. He's been a lot of money writing TV series and show, show what and producing and yet this scared the hell out of him because I can't, I'm having trouble sleeping. It's making me upset. I'm getting, I'm very nervous and I don't know why I keep remembering what you did and what you said. I can't, I've never heard of this before. It's too much for me. Okay. See you around next time. No.
it's um it's not like a machine where you flip a switch and turn it off things happen and you never know where it went and you know it's um um yeah just the problem is the what do you do when you warn people about something and they won't listen what do you do you can't do uh, anything right right but i can it, one last story oh of um this is this is in 1970 undergraduate so i met a girl in one of my classes several of my classes named what was her name um christine wait with the christine or i don't know it doesn't matter um she lived in northridge and i you know, lived in beverly hills took a drive but gas was only a little over a dollar a gallon mm-hmm. not even a dollar so who cares had a great car to drive and so the dreams were always the same i was in the back seat of i didn't see the dashboard someone was a guy was driving with thick dark hair which i used to have and though they were sharon that's our chair sharon's in the passenger seat suddenly a much larger larger car could fly out of nowhere hits us t-bones us and we're thrown around that's glass and fire and the, the driver is unconscious on the steering wheel and sharon broken and bloody at the passenger seat i went what so the dream kept reoccurring over and over over days over weeks i, I finally talked to sharon i said look here's the problem the problem is simple i said i'm not going to let us die because we're stupid she goes, what and she knew me a little bit, but not well at all. I told her the dream, oh, you're just making it You don't want to drive all the way out to be with me. I can't. I have a great car. It's fun to drive. There's not a lot of traffic. Gas is inexpensive. No, no, I can't. I, I said, what, what good will dying do us? And she's out of your mind. Okay. So she was angry. I didn't, I didn't doubt her for it. I didn't condemn her for her belief. She was skeptical. Mm-hmm. So we stopped dating, started dating someone else, didn't know who. And guess what happened? Well, on her date coming back, turned into the cul de sac, and they were hit by a much larger car at speed. The driver was killed instantly, and she was badly damaged. Badly wow. Did I change it, or did my ability to sense it? That was the key to my not being the driver. Wow. You can't determine what if. So if I convinced you to come stay with me in L.A., Beverly Hills, would that have changed everything? Yeah, but I wouldn't do that and change. I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So she would have asked it anyway. And so what if? You know, that's the what if. That's a really, really big question. And when JFK was inaugurated in 1961, so I'm watching it on TV with my parents. and. I turned to them and I said, he's going to be killed around Thanksgiving of 63. And they went, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> I said, well, how do you know? I said, well, I can feel it. I can say, how do you know? No, I didn't say die. He's going to be killed, meaning it's not his fault. And they don't, don't say it here. We don't like this. Okay, told friends at school. They don't want to talk to you. You're scaring me. And, of course, three years later, but two years later, when it happened, three years later, uh, it occurred, and uh, I said it was right around Thanksgiving, which it was, and I didn't talk to some of my friends for months afterward. My parents, I bet them it would happen. They paid me, and they said, we don't want to talk to you. Leave us alone for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's the thing. So, yeah. Wow. What can you do? 
what can you do? So, my goodness, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Barry, I have one more question sure. and then I'll let you go. And okay. this is fascinated when fascinating to me because a lot of my friends were fascinated that mm-hmm. you worked on the case to inspire the movie, The Entity. Right. Well, it was August 22nd or July, whatever, 1974, Culver yeah. City. Yeah. And uh, so my colleague, Kara Gator and I went to, okay, how we met her, she was in a bookstore in Westwood, which was actually still in existence when the film was made. He was in there with a friend. They were talking about her work. And then this woman comes up, oh, my house is haunted. So Carrie got her name and address. Phone number, called her. We went out there. Very, very hot summer. Very high humidity. The house did not have air conditioning. It was like a sweat, like a an old uh, going to a place to, to cleanse your body, get sweat, a sweat, whatever they call them. A sweat you know? lodge thing. Yeah. And went in the house, terrible odor. Oh. And we sit down. The very first thing she tells us is that she'd been repeatedly raped by the ghosts. And I thought, oh, this one was out of her mind. Mm-hmm. And it's a, lo- it's a long story, but we came back a few days later when neighbors had witnessed things, friends of hers who were there. And then we began observing things. Um, we were in the kitchen talking, a lower cover cabinet opened, and a frying pan came fry- flying out of there and hit the floor. No wires, no animals, no strings, nothing, no, nothing. So, and it went on, we began to see luminous anomalies in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, she claimed there were three entities. The two smaller ones would hold her down, the, the bigger one would, would sexually assault her. Now, from a psychoanalytic perspective, it doesn't take a doctor to understand that, you know, she had three male children. Also had one really young female child, but there were uh, two smaller male children and a much but older, larger. And you'd have to see the environment to best understand this, but from you know a purely psychological perspective, it's like she was envisioning in her mind being raped by her own children. Every child she had came from a different father. Mm-hmm. She was disowned by her parents a long, long time before that. She was so cryptic and evasive in her questions that most of the things I asked her, she wouldn't even tell. She wouldn't give us her age. And the only way we were able to break that when I was friends with Frank D. Felita, who wrote the novel, the original screenplay. Mm-hmm. And he went, and she felt comfortable on him because more like a father figure to her. And, you know, it was amazing. At one point, uh, we got these weird lights on camera, but we couldn't determine where they're coming from or going to. There's no reference. So I put up black poster boards on the walls and the ceiling and with duct tape. So we formed a checkerboard all over the bedroom. And then when that, we heard screaming, she comes back, we go there, and something has torn all those boards down with a lot of the plaster. Wow. And then we're there another time and we're acting, whatever it is, to show up. And one of the poster boards just ripped off the ceiling, flies and hits her in the head. There were 20 people in the room, so it had a lot of people that could have hit. Other times, these green 
but I called them gelatinous balls of energy coalesced in the corner where her bed was, and an apparition showed up from about the waist up. It was not a static image. It was articulating to see it moving. Um, it was pretty amazing. The, uh, the film didn't capture that very well at all. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't like the way film turned out because the director they hired was not the man who wrote it, who also was a very good director. And the new director thought we were all nuts and we wrote a lot of stuff. And some of the most important elements of the case were eliminated, but it's a movie, it's not a documentary. Right, right. I, uh, Barbara Hershey did a good job. I remember Barbara Hershey and Ron Silver pleaded with Frank DeFilita to, to be one of the characters in the film. Mm -hmm. And and then when the film came out, came out, got a lot of negative press. It was, you know, considered very uh, anti-female, you know, you know, terrible misogynistic. And Frank made answers to questions the only times, which didn't make things good. Um, but it's interesting. It was one of Martin Scorsese's most frightening films. But you know, if we ever remake it, I would adhere to what happened. I wouldn't take the attitude that. Frank Diesel Litter, after we with Doris uh, numerous times, and myself and my colleague Gary Gator mm -hmm. interviewing us at length, um, he wrote a novel which sold, became a bestseller, and then his movie and the whole bit. And the production company that made the film went bankrupt before the film came out. So it was the last negative pickup by Sherry Lansing when she was at Fox. And because the head of publicity at Fox hated Sherry Lansing, a man by the name of Irv Irving Ivers. He hated her. He didn't do any publicity on the film at all. We were supposed to go on a nationwide talk show circuit. We didn't. Who cares? Mm -hmm. But, you know, a long time ago. So it came out in nine, February 1983. Yeah. So it's, four, it's 40 years ago. Yeah. I remember when it came out when I was a, a gosh, teenager not even a teenager quite yet well, and i thought it was frightening just the whole concept frightened me yeah the here's the whole thing it's like if you pick up a glass of water to drink you're not frightened by the fact you pick up the glass and put it to your mouth and drink because mm -hmm. we know how to do that the same way you get in your car and drive you don't think well, how did I learn to drive? You did, you know, yeah. or type or eat or it, it, it's, this is the paranormal may end up being one of the few objectively verifiable things in reality. The problem is we don't know how to do that yet. It, yeah. it tends, again, uh, how can you perceive a future that doesn't already exist or doesn't? The events don't exist, but the information related to them exists. Right. And that's the problem. But what's the difference? Well, you can't, the information's there. It, years ago, there was something started in the parapsychology world, not the paranormals, the parapsychology, of far, thinking that they retroactive psychokinesis. They went, what? Hmm. To change the past? It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. You wow. can't prove it. In other words, if you um, if you go back in time and prevent the assassination of JFK, mm -hmm. and then you come to, back to the present time, people say, "What do you mean he was assassinated?" No, he, he died a year or two ago at the age of ninety. Well, there was no assassination. What? 
Could you change it? So you remember, but no one here was. Because they lived all the years where everything was normal. Yeah. And this is the, um, you know, um, you know, like that girl I dated in, in uh, Northridge a long time ago. If I would not stop seeing her, would I have died in the accident? Exactly. Probably. But I knew enough not to go. So did I change the future? Maybe. Could we prove it? No. It's, unt it's untestable. You can't. What if situation? And that's the thing. What about the when I was dating the Barbara Eden I met when I was teaching? So I was washing my hands and face in the bathroom before dinner, and uh, I saw this guy in the mirror, clear as a bell, about six foot tall, uh, brownish hair, blue eyes, a dress three piece suit. And I kept reading dinner. I said to her, "Oh, by the way, you know, you're gonna meet this guy. You're gonna marry him." She goes, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> And she did? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the thing that broke up, uh, when we broke up because she was getting frightened, but she was learning or things happening. And like we'd be watching TV in the living room, and suddenly we heard things on the floor, and all the dishes were stacked up halfway to the ceiling. But we didn't do it. She'd come home from work, and her clothes were laid out, like very organized on the floor, on the bed. She didn't do that. That was the last time. We left her place together. I went home, she went to work. And the door locked her out or locked us out. Huh. It was her wanted to end the relationship, but even though we got along, it wasn't gonna go anywhere. And her biological clock was ticking. So she wanted to end it, but she never got to the point of doing it. But meanwhile, her mind locked us out of the apartment. <laughs> oh my goodness. And the last point was this. To show how much power we have, maybe, or suggested, we had to move out of the house, my friend and I, in 2021. So we were starting to do things, move things around. And so the, the front doors were huge doors, two doors open up like a castle, very large, and they wouldn't open. I did some examination. The metal in both doors that formed the lock had melted to into and congealed to a large block of metal. The doors could be opened. How did that happen? That's that would have been crazy. 825 degrees. It would have set the doors on fire. Yeah. So how did that happen and why? Huh. Almost like the house didn't want us to leave. But how could that have done that without setting the doors on fire? It couldn't, but it did. That's Which insane. Which showed. Yeah. yeah. Another thing, Kay, when you... In movies, see a person like a paranormal picked up and thrown into a wall. Here's the thing. The energy required to do that that's not linked to a physical object would be so great that it would set everything in the room, including the people and their clothing and the furniture, on fire. Interesting. And that doesn't happen. A case in oh, the early 90s, a giant table bouncing up and down in, um, I forgot where the game was, somewhere in LA. And the big marble table must have weighed several hundred pounds, took five people to move it. But it was bouncing up and down like it had no weight. From what? I don't know. Then it stopped. <laughs> so again, we're, something's being demonstrated to us. The question is, do we ignore it and hope it'll go away? You're trying to find out what happened. If we ever discover a form of energy 
it does work without producing heat, the world changes forever. Yes, forever. absolutely. Um, yes. <laughs> no, no, you don't need internal combustion engines anymore. You don't need diesels. You don't need jet engines. Everything changes. Absolutely. <laughs> find a way to tap into an energy source that doesn't produce heat. May produce cold, but not heat. Yet if it does produce heat, it does so in a way that doesn't burn the damn house down. And this is the problem, is that what are we dealing with here? It's something that would change every aspect of the human condition, every single aspect. It, it, so, more than one way. Yeah. Um, it would change religion. Ten, I, it would change everything. When I was 10 years old, I looked like I was five in grammar school. So it's a nice warm day. It's recess for playing. Whatever. And this little girl named Christine is walking toward me. Blue sundress with well, with a big sunflower on it. Walking toward me, and this other vision I have cuts in, like Superman's X-ray vision. And I looked, and I thought, that's weird. Kind of plastic tube on her side and, and a bag, like a plastic bag. What's that? Went up to her. I said, Chris, what are you wearing under your dress? And she started screaming, brought me to the principal's office. So what did you sneak in the girl's bathroom? Looked under her dress. I said, no, no, no. It's like, you know. Superman's X-ray vision. He went, what? Unless you you can go to jail for this. Probably gonna let me call your mom. Calls my mom. Tells her what happened, and she says to him, Barry can do that. And the principal went, what? She said, Barry can do that. What do you mean he can do it? He can do it. And he said, you're as crazy as your damn son. Hung up on him. On her. What? So, oh. um, like I said, I've lived a different life than other people. Well, I find your life personally very fascinating. And no, thank you. Very, thank you. I I know yeah. I know you're always busy, and I really thank you for coming on Twilight oh, Tonic. My pleasure. And good. I'd love to have you back on at some point. You're just so fascinating. Okay. You know who's you voice reminds me of one person. Who's that? The actress Joe Beth Williams. He was in the first two Poltergeist movies. Oh, thank you. I like her. Well, almost the same. I mean, because I met her way back when. Yeah. And you remind me of a younger version of her. Oh, thank you. Same That's... exact voice. Where are you from originally? New York? Me? I'm from Dayton, Ohio. Okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. My mom's from New York State, though. I spent yeah. a lot of summers in New York State, up in those yeah. mountains. Yeah, I'm just curious. I was kept saying certain words when you say them reminded me of Joe Beth Williams very much. So yeah, <laughs> was she so, from the Midwest? I have no idea. I don't know. I I forget names. I don't forget faces and voices. Yeah. <laughs> so I've done a lot of teaching, and years later, people remember me. I go no. <laughs> thousands of students over time. I remember one person. So no. <laughs> it's a lot of people. Yeah, appreciate you having me on the show. Maybe in the future sometime we'll do it again. I would love it. You have a good evening and take care, Barry. Bye-bye.